0: A man may lose, a man may be defeated. It's no disgrace, so long as he doesn't give up. And Welcome to season two. And before we get into the episode number, I lost track because of the when annuals the last annual. week when I thought we were on episode eight. We were not, we were on episode seven. So, this is season two, episode Infinity. of me and my friend Pete, another Donuts and Dimes production, the podcast that explores all things the amazing Spider Man. I'm your host, Peter Parker's persnickety pal, Gerald. If this is your first time with us, welcome. If it isn't, welcome three times and back once. This week, we're running through THE Amazing Spider-Man number 33, the final chapter. If you haven't, please consider becoming a patron over at patreon.com hspp in the Key Keeper or High Council tiers. Patrons get a bonus episode every time we release one here. This time, we're running through Green Lantern, Volume 4, Number 62, The New Guardians Conclusion. A tale that sees the New Guardians, led by arguably the greatest Green Lantern of them all, Hal Jordan, taking on the creator of the DC Universe, the Rogue Owen Crona. That's later. Right now, where are you? Here. Pete started college, introducing two new characters into the universe, the gorgeous Gwen Stacy and salty Harry Osborne, to go along with the king of the Foolsville faithful, Flash, Fashion on Trash, Thompson. Before Pete can even settle in, however, May has to be rushed to the hospital after Pete discovers she's been having fainting spells, spells caused by a transfusion of Pete's blood. Pete managed to get the help of Dr. Curtis Connors, and together they develop one half of a compound serum, and Pete hawks everything to purchase the other half, ISO 36 from the west coast. All this unfolding and Ned Leeds, Jameson's demon reporter, has asked Betty Brant to marry him. On the Spider-Man side, he's been dealing with a new villain dubbed the Master Planner, who has been pulling off fearless and flawless crimes throughout the city, stealing radioactive and atomic devices. But the Spider and the Man collide when we discover that the Master Planner is none other than 008. Dr. Octopus, and he sends his henchmen to steal the ISO 36. Spidey snaps. He tears the city apart looking for the master planner, enlisting the help of Frederick Foswell, Jameson's best reporter, telling the man if he helps, Spidey will give him the scoop on the story. Spidey finds the master planner's base, beneath the East River of course, because it's always the East River, and proceeds to dismantle it brick by brick like a Lego deconstruction. He goes one-on-one with the 8-1, and in his rampage, destroys the support pillars holding the underwater base up. One rubber hole shatter later, and Spidey is buried beneath tons of machinery. Trapped in a prison of his own design, with Ock nowhere to be found, the ISO 36 just beyond his grasp, and the dome of the villain's lair cracked and leaking water faster and faster, Spidey is moments away from being crushed and drowned with no one around to hear him gurgle. That's where we are. We've got me, we've got you, we've got no further ado. We've got The Amazing Spider-Man, number 33, The Final Chapter. Let's swing! Me and my best friend Pete Old adventures, new critiques He spins webs, I spin yarns Kinda kooky, be forewarned Look out, it's me and my friend Pete The credits Script and editing on this one was done by Smilin' Stan Lee With plot and illustration by Swinging Steve Ditko And bordering and lettering done by art It's in the name Simek with a final credit. Reading and enjoying that old web spinner, you. So you know that's a shout out to us. The cover. We get the amazing Spider-Man in goldenrod yellow with Spidey costume red shading our hero's name atop spider's webs as usual. The colors are reminiscent of the Spider-Man the Animated Series logo, the 90s Spidey cartoon that's still my favorite iteration of the webhead on screen ever. Fun fact, Spider-Man never threw one punch in that TV show. Go back and check. Thank me later. Back to. Beneath this, we get the title of the conclusion to this seminal Spider-Man story, aptly named The Final Chapter, in a blue banner with lime green letters. And behind this, Spidey has seen better days. Last issue, he was getting a little lunch. This one, he might just be on the menu. We have the golden liability, Spider-Man, trapped in a prison of his own design. If you recall, last issue... Man on a Rampage, or Rail Bumper Bumper Rail Hole Shatter. Spidey, on his quest to recover the ISO 36 to save Aunt May's life, which was stolen by the Master Planners gang, went on a rampage quite literally, and finding the Master Planners underwater base, ran through the villain's goons before discovering that the Master Planner was arguably his greatest villain, Dr. Octopus, and Spidey's rampage knew no bounds. He destroyed every single support column of Doc Ock's underwater secret base in their one-on-one battle, and caused thousands of pounds of heavy machinery to come crashing down on top of him. If that weren't bad enough, a slow leak began dripping from the roof, the East River was beginning to seep into the base. Spidey for all his strength couldn't get the weight off of him, and with the ISO 36 less than 10 feet away, things were looking grim. Back too. All that said, that's where we find Spidey now, still trapped beneath this rubble. He's got his right hand gripping a chunk of the debris near his head, his left out in front of him, and that's all we can see of his body. All around him is the large gray machinery that's fallen on top of him. If that weren't bad enough, when we left our hero, the drip from the ceiling was coming in as small drops that were getting faster and larger. But now, there are streams of water falling all over this cover, over his left shoulder, over the fingers of his right hand directly on top of his head, and between the buggy eyes of his mask. Two separate, larger streams are pouring down in the foreground, and all of these streams are falling into what's now becoming a lake that's rapidly rising to Spidey's chin. Talk about a predicament. Let's get into it. Page one opens to a golden rod banner with the Amazing Spider-Man written inside. The Amazing is written in black, Spider-Man is written in green. Above the title of this issue, The Final Chapter. Written in a white font inside of a red screen caption box. And beneath this, we got recap in caption boxes. As Peter Parker's Aunt May lies dying in the hospital, victim of the effects of radioactivity in her bloodstream. And we see May, white-haired in profile from the collarbone up, lying asleep in her hospital bed. A sympathetic Dr. Connors waits for Spider-Man to bring the ISO 36 to him, for it is the only serum which might save Peter's aunt. We get Dr. Curtis killed there. Connors next, the handsome one-armed brown-haired doctor. He's in a white lab coat, tan pants, a sky blue shirt, brown tie with pink tie clip, and he's staring at the serum bubbling inside the Bunsen burner that he's been cooking up since last issue. But the stolen serum is in the possession of Dr. Octopus, whose masked henchmen wait outside a steel door as Spidey and Doc Ock battle within. There are no less than seven purple-clad gas-mask henchmen staring at a silver door, and I'm sure they're itching for Spidey or Doc Ock to come through it. And none suspect that a sudden leak in the underwater dome of the hidden hideout is growing bigger and bigger. We're beneath the East River outside of the secret lair as air bubbles escape towards the surface of the river in a steady line. And if air bubbles are escaping any structure underwater, eventually water's going to be invading it. While Spider-Man himself, having beaten his multi-armed foe, is now trapped beneath tons of fallen steel with the precious serum lying just out of reach as the fatal seconds tick by. And we see in the foreground the ISO 36, water falling on it in a steady line. And in the background, our hero with his head down beneath the rubble, water just streaming down all around him. And he's monologuing something fierce. I failed, just now, when it counted the most, I failed, but I can't give up. I must keep trying, I must. Beneath this, set in a sky blue rectangle, we get a hot pink caption box. Possibly one of the most thoroughly satisfying Spider-Man sagas you have ever thrilled to. We turn the page. Page two opens to three panels of Spidey struggling beneath the rubble. And the images aren't that different, but Ditko's working with the art in Spidey's hands. The first panel he has got his fingers pressed against the floor, and he's trying to push up from beneath the rubble mm-hmm. using his arms. And he's shouting no matter how impossible it seems, he's got to free himself. When that doesn't work, he balls a fist with his left hand, throws his head back, and puts his shoulders into it, shouting that lifting this rubble is the only way. The only way. And when that doesn't work, he collapses. Both hands limp and stretched out above his head, his forehead pressed against the wet floor, saying that after battling 008, he's exhausted and weak. But then, <laughs> The amazing teenager glimpses the life-saving serum so near and yet so far, so hopelessly far away. Spidey raises his head staring at the ISO 36, saying that it's just out of his reach like it's mocking and taunting him. With Aunt May's head in his thoughts in the foreground of the next panel, Spidey shouts that the serum in that canister is the only thing that can save Aunt May and he can't bring it to her. Uncle Ben swims into his thoughts next as he puts his left hand to his forehead saying if May doesn't make it, it'll be all his fault, just like his Uncle Ben. But I want to say again, they're not exactly the same. Pete didn't kill his uncle directly. His inaction may have, but not him specifically. His blood is the reason May is sick and getting worse. So despite how horrible he feels about Uncle Ben, I assume he'd feel infinitely worse if he were responsible for May's death directly. In the final panel, Spidey's done feeling sorry for himself, both fists clenched, Mae's head in profile stage right, Ben's smiling head in profile stage left, Spider-Man gives himself a pep talk. The two people in all the world who've been kindest to me. I can't fail again. It can't happen a second time. I won't let it. I won't. No matter what the odds, no matter what the cost, I'll get that serum to Aunt May. And maybe then, I'll no longer be haunted by the memory of Uncle Ben. On three, he goes to work. Within my body, It's the strength of many men. men. He presses both his hands flat against the floor. And now I've got to call on all that strength, all the power that I possess. He spreads his shoulders so they're bracing the corners of the steel on top of him and stares towards the roof as water falls between the eyes of his mask. Spidey digs deep, beginning to push with his arms and chest. I must prove equal to the task. I must be worthy of that strength. He's doing a push-up with only his arms and slowly the weight gives. Or else I don't deserve it. The weight is unbearable. Every muscle aches. But aching or not, Spidey's managed to do a full push-up, but he's not done. In the final panel, he manages to get his left knee beneath his body and he is now kneeling. As water continues to rain down on him, he continues his effort. My head, it's spinning. Ever Everything's beginning to go around. Lord. The strain. It it's unbearable. No Just wanna say Spidey, you would save some of that effort if you weren't talking so much. Page 4 opens to us washing water fall and huge droplets from the cracks in the ceiling. Spidey saying he can't do it. He can't. But the very next panel, we get play six of the Golden Liability Playbook. play six. The Paul Engerman. Or, the Ice Cube. Or, the Journey. Translation? That's, push it to the limit. Or, you can do it, put your back into it. Or, don't stop, believe it. No, I dare not give up now. If I close my eyes, I'll go under, must stay awake, must clear my head. Keep trying, trying. I'll do it on me, I won't fail you. No matter what, I won't fail. In the final panel, Spidey's in a pose that make Atlas eat his heart out as water falls on top of him. He is drenched now in this the panel of of the week. His right knee pressed against the floor, his right heel off the floor as his toes dig in, his left foot flat. Both arms pushing the impossible weight. Every muscle flexed to the breaking point. Spidey's managed to get into a position to make a move, but it hasn't been easy. Anyone can win a fight when the odds are easy. It's when the going's tough. When there seems to be no chance. That's when it counts. Everything going black. My head aching. Hold on. I must hold on. It's moving. Can't stop now. Last chance. Must keep the momentum. More. Just a little more! On five, we get Caption Box. And then, as the agonizing ache in his limbs seems unendurable, as his superbly-muscled body suffers the torment of a virtually indescribable ordeal, from out of the pain, from out of the agony, comes triumph. Spidey, still on one knee, has managed to toss the 1,000-pound weight over his head in a stunningly beautiful full-page spread, shouting, I did it! I'm free! What I love most about this page is that water's been falling, falling, raining, but right now, a line of water is raining directly onto Spidey's sternum, covering up his Spidey logo there. This is not the spider who accomplished this. This is not the strength of his muscles that accomplished this. This is the man and his mental fortitude that accomplished this. It's a lovely bit of symbolism if Ditko planned it, and if not a lovely bit of serendipity to drive the point home if you can this is issue 33 this is volume one this is page five go and let dick goat take your breath away on six spidey's got no time to celebrate his awesome display of strength he performed the feat, bracing all that weight on his right leg and though free he's hurt holding his right thigh he says he's lucky nothing's broken but at the very least he sprained that thigh. You know we love drama here on me and my friend Pete, so I'm gonna say our hero tore that thigh muscle because a simple sprain wouldn't hurt him. Either way, Spidey limps towards the goldenrod canister of ISO 36, shouting that he can't waste a moment, not one minute. And he's right, because we get another shot of the ceiling and now the water is just rushing in. Spidey scoops up the ISO 36 in his left hand and breaks towards the exit as fast as he can, limping and gripping his thigh the whole way. We get another shot of the ceiling. Water's just flooding the room now. Spidey shouting that the whole place is going to be submerged in seconds, but I can't fail now. Not after everything that's happened. He races back towards the tunnel, the water now past his ankles, shouting that all he needs is for the tunnel to hold up for a few seconds longer. But you know, cosmic and comic timing haven't ever been on the spider's side. The very next panel, we get rubber hole shatter. A rush of water bursts through the ceiling as Spidey shouts that his time has run out. He grips the ISO 36 tight in the next panel and tries to pick up the pace as a massive waterfall pours into the room, shouting that he can still escape if he gets one miracle. But forget miracles. In the final panel, the water slams the spider from behind and he grips the ISO 36, both to his chest, shouting, I'm going to limp. Let it sweep me along through the tunnel. These few seconds will give me a chance to regain some of my strength. With surging thunderous power, the on-rushing deluge sweeps Spider-Man along through the tunnel as it hurls on its course with a force and impact such as only nature herself and all her fury can unleash. You hear Stan working? And... Only Spider-Man's amazing agility and sense of balance can keep him from being helplessly battered as the torrent surges from side to side. Agility on, best ever. In the next panel, as submerged machinery parts shoot past our hero beneath the water, Spidey thinks the tunnel's almost completely inundated. Translation, flooded. But Spidey also knows he can hold his breath longer than a normal human being. We've established that's about four and a half minutes but that doesn't mean forever and he needs to find a way out before he drowns right now. The current shoots him around the corner and Spidey getting spidery, grabs the wall with his left hand, thinking he's gotta wait a moment for that door at the end of the tunnel. It's my only chance. The relentless hammering of tons of water should break it down by the time I reach it. And the water does. The wall broken down, Spidey throws a stiff arm out, thinking now's not the time to get careless and that he has to keep swerving and dodging so he's not tangled up on water, by the broken machinery. And then, seconds later, Spidey breaks through the surface of the water in the final panel shouting, I'm through, there's air to breathe, air! And I'm sure he takes a huge gulp of our most precious of resources, and that's good, because we turn the page and we're on the infinity infinity page. Page Page 8. Just in time to witness a hand grab Spidey's right angle from beneath the water and pull him back under. In the next panel, Spidey flips head over feet to see his assailant, two master Planner gang members and aqualungs ready to go two on one with the great one. But torn muscle or no, Spidey thinks they aren't going to stop him now, no matter how tired he is, and he gets busy making quick work of both of them. He breaks free of the goon beneath him, swims towards the other, and isn't going to waste any time throwing a punch. He grabs the air hose of the aqualung canister and yanks it free of the rebreather, thinking the goons can't fight without air. He does a somersault in the water and does the same to the goon who grabbed his ankle as the first gang member races towards the surface in the background. This is a beautiful panel. And Spidey's thinking, Damn, that take care of that! They can't hold their breath as long as i King of Swing and he's still so proper! As he swims back towards the surface. But when the hard-pressed youth finally climbs to safety, he realizes that his ordeal is still far from over. When it rains, it pours and Spidey is in monsoon season. As he crawls out of the water in the final panel, I'm sure wanting a moment to breathe, he's greeted by six Master Planner gang members walking towards him and the two whose aqua he's just ruined crawling out of the water on the opposite end of the makeshift pool. And I'm sure the one in the lead is Doc Ock's number two. Nice to meet you, number two. He says this being the only way out, they knew Spider-Man would show up here, but the only way to reach the stairs behind them is for Spidey to fight his way through them. Drenched, fatigued, Torn thigh muscle, Spidey's ready to do that little thing. On 9, he lips towards the goons, water dripping from his costume, his right fist clenched, his left's gripping the ISO 36 handle, and he's talking his smack. I've got a job to do, and nobody, nothing, no power on earth is going to stop me while I still live. Number 2 says that works for them. (laughs) Nobody lives forever. The goon to his right shouts for them to stop wasting time that they've got the numbers, so they should rush our hero. But Spidey shouts... You got it wrong, fella. If there's any rushing to do around here, I'll do it. And we got action. Spidey leaps the length of the room, knocking the loudmouth goon backwards with the swing of the ISO 36 canister and punching number two in the jaw with the right straight punch, thinking that it'd be great if he weren't so exhausted and if his leg weren't throbbing, but these are things he can't think about now. Whether Spidey thinks about it or not, won't change the fact though, that him being injured and fatigued works for the goons. In the next panel, as Spidey sends one of them sprawling with an overhand windmill punch, he's tagged on both sides of his jaw by two planter goons. One shouting, The great Spider-Man! Ha! You're not as tough as you're cracked up to be! The other, Keep swinging! We're stopping him! He can't get past us! The duo gets surgical in the next panel, dodging wild swings from Spidey. Stage right goon cracks Spidey on the chin with a downward left punch, saying this is almost too easy. That the webhead has to be faking it before stage left, goons in Spidey's jaw. North, the worst position you want to be in in a fight with a right haymaker, and he's shouting, "No one wants to be a human punching bag, not even the Spider-Man." But as the goons around Spidey and crack him across his left jaw again in the next panel, we see that's exactly what Spidey's thinking. I got, I got to, take, to it take it from it them from just a little, little longer. longer by, by not by fighting, fighting back. back I can, can keep, keep resting, resting. regaining my energy. energy. My own strength keeps the bloom from hurting too much. And this isn't the first time Spidey's playing possum. This willingness to take a punch for later ends was first seen in ASM number 13, The Menace of Mysterio, or The Golden Liability, the Zingaroo Shuffle, here on Me and My Friend Pete when Spidey let Mysterio go to work on him, leading to the Old rope a or V.O. Take a licking and Keep on ticking Offensive, or V.O. Cross-Deck, Mic-Checked, one, 1-2-1-2-Skidoo, two, one, two, to be known hereafter, the return of the Zingaroo Shuffle. In the final panel, he takes a left cross to his left funny bone, a right cross to his right cheek, and he is just rolling with the punches. This is probably the first time anyone ever rested by taking a beating. But then i never was much of a conformist can't wait much longer i'm beginning to ache man took seven punches unblocked and is just beginning to ache fortified on 10 spidey's down on one knee surrounded by four goons thinking that now's his chance to fight back and if he's got the time he wastes no time a backhand with his left transforms a dude into an mma plank sending the man flying a right overhand sends another goon flying away from him so fast all we see are the heels of the man's feet but the gang ain't soft one of them shouts for them to look out because spidey's gotten his second win as one goon punches spidey in the right shoulder that goon throws a left punching spidey in the ear making me think hit me in the ear well jesus i'm sorry And the hits just keep on coming as another goon throws a cross, saying who cares that it'll take more than a second win to save Spidey, while another goon throws an uppercut that connects with our hero's chin and staggers him. He's He's right, right. without full 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 use use of my leg. I can't can't maneuver maneuver as I should, should. and they're They're all all fresh, fresh. rested. Rested. Another right connects with the back of his head, another left connects to the right side of his head, and it must've jogged something in Spidey's brain because he remembers who he is. What's the matter with me? What if my leg is injured? injured? What if they are more more rested? rested? They're just a gang of mangy clunks. but I'm Spider-Man. Surrounded by villains in the next panel, he presses his left hand flat on the floor and damn near snaps a man in two with an uppercut Thinking, I'm Spider-Man and I'm not going to fail. I'm not, I'm not. In a goldenrod space in the next panel, stars dancing around his lowered head, Aunt May's sleeping face in profile, Spidey thinks, not without me counting on me, needing me, and starts flailing those fists. Both fists thrown upper uppercuts in the final panel. He drops a diamond for all of us to take with us. A man may lose, a man may be defeated. It's no disgrace, so long as he doesn't give up. I told y'all, pick that diamond up and put it in your pocket. It's no disgrace. It's no disgrace. Back to... Eleven opens to those arms, still swinging, still surrounded by three goons as he shouts that he's not giving up. I'm not. I'm not. I'll keep fighting. No matter what, I won't give up. I won't. I won't. I won't. He finishes his monologue standing in a modified neo bodybuilding pose. His head lowered. His left knee almost touching the floor. His right leg forward. His left fist up near his head. His right behind him above his head. And i am convinced Spidey's got his eyes closed because he's screaming. Nobody can make me give up. Not when there's so much at stake. I'll keep fighting. Until. Until. What? It's over? (laughs) And it is. There are guys piled on top of each other unconscious. A guy behind him in the soundest of sleep. He's got his hand under his head, the other out in front of him like a newborn babe. There's a guy braced against a pipe in a seated position, his right hand at his side. The pointer finger aimed at Spidey as if to say, that whirling Dervish knocked me unconscious. Spidey has knocked out every single member of Dr. Octopus's gang. He grabs the ISO 36 up in the next panel and nursing that right thigh says he has got to get back to Dr. Connors with spots still dancing around his head. And that feeling of spots in front of your eyes, that's a real feeling. I've passed out quite a few times in my life, never knocked out, but passed out always during a New York heat wave, mostly on the subway before I learned I wasn't too cool for water, and every time spots quite literally danced in front of my face, so I know Spidey's reeling right now. But he climbs the stairs beneath the hidden trap door he found last issue, saying there's no time to figure out what happened to Dr. Octopus. No time for anything except getting that ISO 36 to Dr. Connors. And back above ground in the final panel, he races through the building as fast as his battered legs can take him. And so, a short time later, at the laboratory of Dr. Connors, we find... Spidey's leaping through the window of C.K. Connors' lab, and Connors pointing at him, saying Spidey's got the serum. That it's all he needs to get to work. And Connors is not a man who wastes time. Spidey appreciates it, saying he knew he could count on a man. In the next panel, Spidey pulls the serum from the container and hands the small violets in to Connors, who asks Spidey if he had any trouble getting the serum back. Spidey's like, who did I? but he's all business right now. I'll tell you about it sometime. Right now, here's the serum. Let's not waste a minute. And thinks there's still one thing he's gotta do when Connors isn't looking. And Spidey gets sciency. Connors turns his back. Spidey pulls a syringe from who knows where, (laughs) thinking he's gotta take a sample of his own blood. He fills a vial with it, thinking that the blood is going to be needed for comparison so he can check if Doc Connors serum really can stop Aunt May's blood from deteriorating. He tucks the vial into his utility belt thinking he won't pull it out again until he needs it. And when he does, Connors won't know where it came from. Then, as the masked adventurer turns to his newfound ally once more, we see the two men standing in front of a chemistry set as the compound serum boils and loops through the tubes and glasses. And Connors is all smiles, saying he's getting just the reaction he expected. Spidey says, good, there's only one thing left to do. And in the final panel, he pulls his blood sample and without hesitation adds it to the compound distillate. Translation? He dumps his blood into the potion they've created, saying he wants to test the blood sample, and Connors is scowling at him, asking what sample? What are you doing, kid? On 13, Spidey's holding up a dropper and adding drops of Connors' potion into the vial of his blood, as Connors looks on concerned. Spidey's saying he can't explain, but if the serum works on this blood, it'll probably work on the other patient's blood as well. If you recall, Connors has no idea who he's saving with this compound, only that he's repaying Spider-Man for helping him rid himself of the lizard so he doesn't know this is for May Parker. He asks, how can you be sure it's the same type of blood? Spidey says he can't explain, but it is, and that's because way back in ASM number 10, The Enforcers, or BCC Dr. CK Connors, how to plan. Here on Me and My Friend Pete, Pete, chided by Liz Allen and Flash Thompson, gave May the transfusion that saved her life then and is ruining it now. So Spidey's absolutely sure that he and May are a match. He hands the serum to Connor, saying he's done all he can, and the rest is up to the world's most handsomest doctor. Connor says they'll have an answer in a few minutes. A few minutes pass in a gutter between panels, and he puts the blood beneath a microscope in the next, and breaks into his winning smile. It works! The deterioration of the blood was instantly checked when the serum was applied! Spidey looking on, thinking they may have found the cure for Aunt May. But Connors, great scientist he is, knows they're not out of the woods yet. As Spidey packs the violence of the goldenrod container, the ISO 36 came in. He says, just one thing. You've never told me who the patient is. The serum may be affected by the age, sex, or physical condition of the one it's given to. But our hero can't worry about that now. I know, but that's the chance we have to take. At least there's some hope now. Leaping onto the ledge and looking over his shoulder, Spider-Man tells Connors he needs one more favor. One more thing. He wants Connors to call the hospital and speak to the doctor in charge. So Spidey won't be held up at the door. He says Connors is a man of great reputation and this of course will save Spidey time and Connors says of course he'll do it and calling Spidey a friend wishes him luck. Seconds later, we're in the hospital where a still unconscious May Parker lays in a hospital bed and profile. The same doctor from last issue, that's Dr. Greaser with his slick back hair is talking to no one saying they've done all they can but May's condition is hopeless. When a red-haired nurse rushes into the room breathless telling him there's an urgent call for him. No sooner is the phone call completed when... Spidey, proving he can get anywhere in the city in 30 seconds and that doors are for lesser men, leaps into the hospital and final panel through the stage right window, shouting that he has something for Mrs. Parker. He begins to ask if she's still alive, but Dr. Greaser cuts him off, saying she is, but just barely. Barely. He tells Spider-Man they were informed of his arrival and tells the Webhead to hand over the serum. On 14, Dr. Greaser gives the serum to a more accomplished doctor, a black man who gets right to work. I'm gonna call this guy Dr. Hibbert. Why not? Representation, it's so important. Dr. Hibbert says if the serum stops the deterioration, they'll give May a transfusion and she'll have a fighting chance. And if you know the Parkers, you know that's all they need. Spidey asks how long it'll be before they know. Dr. Greaser says two hours, that they've gotta run some tests. But Spidey cannot do two hours of standing around. If he does, he'll drive himself crazy thinking that any second could be May's last. He gives me one last look over Dr. Hibbert's shoulder, thinking, I've done the best I could on me. Him. Now there's nothing left but prayer. prayer. Before leaping up onto the windowsill in the next panel to get out of Dodge. But Dr. Greaser has questions. He wants to know Spidey's interest in the matter, and Spidey gives him nothing, replying, Let's just say that I was helping. A friend. He runs along the rooftop in the next panel, clutching his right thigh, and you know he's shouting, giving the game away. He says that he's got to find a way to keep busy for the next couple of hours before realizing just how to do... That little thing. He races back to the Master Planner's hideout and raises the trap door that leads into the secret base on the land side. And finding the Planner's gang still knocked out, says he's got to do a little staging before the unconscious goons recover. And he gets busy in the gutter between panels because in the next panel, he's racing out of the Planner Gang hideout in the background, his camera set up high on a ledge in the foreground, and he's thinking about that setup camera. And now it'll look like Peter Parker caught Spider Man exiting the secret lair. In the final panel, he's grabbed his camera and made his way back to the entrance of the secret lair. And we're looking at him on one knee, staring at us, the camera to his eyes, as he thinks. And now that, that intrepid news hound, Young School, school Parker, Parker, seriously Parker, snaps the sleeping thongs thong or sprawled down, down, down below. Thong. Young School Parker! The kid has given himself a nickname, a faux pas in some circles, but I've done it, and I like it! We'll allow it! Donuts and dimes, here young comes. Minutes later, at the offices of the Daily Bugle, crime reporter Frederick Foslow gets an urgent call. So we're at 39th Street, 2nd Avenue, Midtown, limestone building, you can't miss it, where Foswell is holding a phone pressed against his ear. He's in white shirt, maroon pants, green fedora, and matching bow tie, with his signature pencil-thin mustache on his long, thin face. Foswell's a busy man, and whoever's on the phone has him way past busy enough. Who? Did you say Spider-Man? You want me to meet you? Right away. You got a tip for me? I'm on my way. He pulls a sheet of paper from the typewriter, sets it down and grabbing his jacket in the gutter, races towards the door of the bullpen in the background of the next panel while J.J. and Brettie Brent watch him shoot past in the foreground. Foswell shouts at J.J. to hold the front page because there may be a scoop from Spider-Man, so they'll need an extra. J.J. says this is music to his ears. The camera pulls in tight on the miserable magnate, who pulls the as usual cigar from his mouth in the next panel, his Cheshire money grin on his face. And he says, I can hear the money rolling in now. Maybe that blasted web spinner's in jail. Or worse, if I'm lucky. Oh, what a beautiful day this is. Betty, behind him, asks if anything's wrong, because the man is smiling. And that's one thing Jameson doesn't readily do. Then, on a the street near the waterfront. Spidey's sitting in a crouch in the middle of an uneven spider's web. He's crafted as Foswell races by beneath him. Spidey tells the reporter that he'll last longer if he slows down. Fozzo asks what Spidey's doing up there. And of course, Spidey replies, Nothing much, just hanging around. That's an easy quip for the king of thwip. But in the next panel, Spidey's camera webbed to the side of a smokestack in the foreground. Spidey gets serious. Now listen closely. I got the master planner's gang all sewed up behind a hidden trap door, which I mocked for you. The leader was Dr. Octopus, but I lost him when the place got flooded. Foswell tells Spidey that if the web had let him know over the phone, he'd have gotten a photographer and alerted the police. Spidey thinks, He doesn't suspect my camera is on the roof ledge, automatically snapping this whole thing right now. Before leaping onto the sheer wall of a nearby building shouting that they don't need to alert the police because he's called them already, and telling Foswell the story is all his. Spidey makes tracks thinking, I'll double back to the roof across the way and make sure I don't miss anything that happens next. Just as two police cars, sirens blaring, race towards Foswell in the final panel spidey's in the foreground only a head and right hand as we watch him snap pictures of a beat cop pointing stage left as three planner gang members march in single file towards where the officer is pointing spidey thinks they look like contrite schoolboys who got caught in the cookie jar as the beat cop tells them not to be shy there's room in a paddy wagon for all of them on 16 as the scoop spider takes photos from a roof in the background in the foreground, Faso watches as Ike and Charlie, the police officers, force three planner gang members to pull their mask off. And we don't recognize any of these people from previous Spider-Man stories, but they're definitely career criminals because as he snaps photos, Spidey's thinking, Who oh won? There'll be a lot of bare post office walls when those characters get taken out of circulation. These guys are on wanted posters up in post offices. Dr. Octopus went for the criminaliest of criminals. Stop me if you've heard this one. A blonde, a brunette, and a noirette walk into a planner game. Officer Ike tells the trio that when the boys march back into Sing Sing, it'll be like old home week. I assume that's like homecoming, sometimes the 60s slang I can't find a translation. In the next panel, Foswell taking notes next to Ike says they should send the driver down into the base for any signs of Dr. Octopus. But Ike says Octopus has to be long gone by now, either escaped or crushed during the cave-in. We're back on the rooftop with Spidey in the next panel as he's turning to leave the last of the panel gang being loaded into the paddy wagon on the street below. And Spidey's thinking he and Foswell are even now, that he's finally made up for suspecting the reporter of being the crime master. That was back in ASM number 26 and 27, The Mystery of the Man in the Crime Master's Mask, and Bring Back My Goblin to Me, or The Emperor's New Clothes, and The Turntable Tales, here on Me and My Friend Pete, back to so, Spidey thinks he and Foswell are even now, and he's got to get the pics in his camera to JJ on the double. Seconds later, there's frantic jubilation in the city room of the Daily Bugle. The bullpen is alive with every person in the panel either running or waving sheets of paper or moving like they're on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. While in the foreground, every tooth in his mouth showing, running his fingers through his Reed Richards like hair, JJ is on the phone, triumphant. The master planner can capture! The identity of the leader revealed, and my paper has a story first. That's great, Foswell. I knew you could do it. Better not praise him too much. much. He's lying like he hit me he for a race. race. But you should have gotten pictures. If only we had photos. Man gave him props, then found a way to make sure he didn't have to up the price for the man's skills. JJ the miserable. And speaking of photos. Peter's limping through the daily bugle, his back to us in a goldenrod jacket, a white collared shirt, unbuttoned sjb slacks and brown shoes and he's thinking jj has to have the story by now and must be hungry for the photos and pete's gonna feed the man his legs still aching but there's no use waiting those donuts ain't gonna make themselves betty brant in a full-length purple dress her bob flawless as usual spots pete walking by and thinks she was hoping to speak to him before spotting him clutching his thigh she tosses the paper she's filing away into the gutter between panels and rushes into the last Towards us, where we can only see the side of Pete's brown hair, and she is shouting, Peter! Peter, wait! It's me, Betty! I want to talk to you! Pete thinks he definitely doesn't want Betty to see his face right now. And on 17, we see why. Pete is lumped up. The Golden Rock kid has bruises on both sides of his forehead. He's got white band-aids in the shape of an X on his left cheek, like he's trying to outdo the Lou's very own Melly. Another bruise on his right cheek and a whole cookie beneath the left side of his lip, leaving it fat and swollen. In short, the kid's face is mangled. And Betty, knowing the Goldenrod kids as handsome as they come, shouts, what happened to your face? Pete replies, nothing much. I just had a tough time getting a new set of news photos for Jameson. Sometimes a guy's lump just runs out. In the next panel, he stares off into the distance, continuing his answer like a cowboy who can't avoid a gunfight. But there's no need to make a federal case out of it. Selling photos is important to me. I need the extra money, and if I have to get slapped around once in a while, it's part of the job. I'm not complaining, and I'm not quitting my work either. Man said if he's gotta take a licking, it's worth it to keep on ticket. My friend Pete, back on the scene. Hearing Peter's grimly spoken words has a dramatic effect on Betty Brant, an effect he knew it would have. Her mind races back to her brother, the brother whom she loved but lost, because he too wouldn't give up the dangerous life He wanted to lead. We get a beautiful panel of Betty in a state of wide-eyed shock. And I think knowing Spidey's future, yeah, he's dated a lot of beautiful women. But Betty is stunning, even in her distress. She's got her left palm on her cheek, her fingers in her bob, her right fist clenched near her right cheek, her eyes wide, her right shoulder is in the shot, but her left isn't. It's great contraposto art, and her head and shoulder bisect this panel as she screams... Once before I lost someone, someone who meant the world to me because he wanted to live dangerously. I couldn't bear that break again. I couldn't bear to lose another. It's too much to ask, too much for a girl to have to endure. On stage right, we see her brother Bennett, doubled over from what we know as a gunshot wound that happened back in ASM number 11. Turning point. Or, what if Bennett was definitely in it? Here on Me and My Friend Pete, when the smooth criminal Blackie Gaxton put one in the boy after backhanding him for insolence. And stage left, We get Scoop Parker, doubled over and much the same way. His face lumped up, and he's grimacing like he's just been shot. This is what Betty's thinking, and it's beautiful to look at. But not to go through, I'm sure, because Betty throws a hand over her face and breaks into a run, away from Pete in tears, shouting, Peter, Peter, why do you have that stubborn streak? Why can't you stick to your studies? Why must you always crave action? As Pete looks on, still gripping his thigh, thinking that after all he's been through, he knows that he's definitely no good for Betty, and never will be. That if she thinks like this about Pete being danger-prone, how would she feel if she knew he was Spider-Man? And I think, yeah, Pete may be an action junkie at this point, but more than that, it's the great power, and you already know the rest. But with nothing to do in this situation, he enters Jameson's office, where J.J. is triumphant, still on the phone stage right. He smiles at Pete as he enters, and I imagine waves him into the room with his cigar hand. Now listen, Foswell, stay at headquarters in case anything else breaks. This is the scoop of the year, and I want to milk it for all it's worth. What happened to you, Parker? You look like something the cat dragged in. But Pete, scowling, isn't here to talk anything except donuts and dimes. I'm not here to enter a beauty contest, Mr. Jameson. I've got something for you. Jameson asks Pete if he's expecting a brass band for the announcement and tells our friend to spill, telling Foswell he'll call him later. On 18, Jameson's neck almost snaps as he spins around with his entire body to check out the photos Pete's just held up and if J.J. ain't cheesing. But Pete's got the floor and he ain't waiting for a brass band. Maybe you wouldn't be interested in these pics. They're only a complete series showing the entire capture of the Master Planners gang. Plus some shots I managed to get a Spider-Man on the scene. Jameson shouts that there is a Santa Claus. Peter Kriskringle Parker Santa Claus. Jameson races towards Pete with his arms out and a desperate look on his face in the next panel, shouting for Pete not to just stand there, to give him the pictures, because there's still time for the pictures to make the front page. Pete jerks the pics out of JJ's reach, saying they haven't agreed on a price yet. JJ says they can settle the price later, that Pete knows how generous he is. And Pete replies, yep, that's why I will settle it now. In the next panel, beautiful panel, he slides his left hand into his SJBs and starts doing the numbers in his head. <laughs> collect enough to pay Aunt May's medical expenses and to get my microscope and other equipment on a hock. And what does he come up with? I want $100 each or I'll peddle them elsewhere. JJ, looking harassed behind his desk, rubbing his right fist with his left hand, says that this is highway robbery, that Pete's taking advantage of his ever-present warm heart and generosity. But he's thinking the photos are worth twice that much. He then says he'll take them because he likes Pete. Pete tosses the photos towards J.J.'s desk, replying, okay then, keep liking me enough to give me a check right now, cause I can use the dough." J.J. wonders what's gotten into the kid, that he used to be a real milk toast. who could've wised him up? <laughs> who wised him up? Life is a poor kid with talent, J.J. He just went through 30 plus goons and eight armed, <clears throat> an eight-appended supervillain, the East River, eight more goons, lost his bay. Lost his way, almost lost his dear on May. The kid ain't come to talk, he came to play. So pay, cut that check. And JJ does. Here's your check. I'll probably go broke throwing away my money so carelessly. Pete says, save it. That compared to JJ, even Ebenezer Scrooge was a reckless, devil-may-care spendthrift. Ebenezer Scrooge being the main character of Charles Dickens' amazing masterpiece, A Christmas Carol, known for being, well, a Scrooge. When they say it's in the name and you're the name they take it from, you gotta know you're an epitome, and Pete's saying JJ's worse than the epitome, shortly thereafter at the hospital. Pete's limping through the hospital, his thoughts on Aunt May. He stops to brace on the wall thinking his leg's aching more than ever now, but this ain't the time to worry about that when Dr. Greaser spots him and calls out to him. In the final panel with the doctor ripping his left bicep, Pete wants the doctor to tell him about May, asking if the tests are over. The doctor says they'll know her condition in a few minutes. In the meantime, Pete better let Dr. Greaser look him over because, again, he's lumped up. On 19, Pete tells the doctor that he's fine, that he's just mixed it up with a few other fellas, but it was nothing worth mentioning. Pete's just spent the night dismantling a crime ring from the bottom up. But, you know, no big deal. The doctor, putting his stethoscope into his ears, says he's going to be the judge of that, not Pete, and tells our pal to open his shirt. Pete, knowing it'd be suspicious if he said no, follows the doctor's orders but i don't know why he thinks that's suspicious you can absolutely refuse a checkup from a doctor i mean i'd never refuse a freebie and i think pete's like me pete's gonna free but i'm just saying back to a few minutes later the doctor has his stethoscope pressed against pete's chest and he's telling the goldenrod kid that he seems fine but he's definitely on the verge of exhaustion and should be lying down in bed He thinks it's lucky the doctor didn't want to check his blood and says he is pretty tired, but he can't sleep until he knows the status of Aunt May. The doctor hands him a red liquid in the next panel. And this panel reminds me of the movie The Departed, directed by living legend Martin Scorsese with DiCaprio, Wahlberg, Nicholson, Damon, Baldwin and everybody else who's ever been in a Boston movie. The doctor is standing behind a door with a glass pane in it and his head is covered by the red cross sign of the hospital. If you've never noticed, every character that's about to die in that movie has an ex somewhere nearby when their death is about to occur. If that rule holds true in the 616 universe, Dr. Greaser is on borrowed time. But I digress. He tells Pete to drink the tonic and get some rest ASAP. Pete says once he leaves the hospital, nobody will have to tell him twice. As Pete drinks, a brown-haired nurse walks up saying they have the results from May Parker and asks the doctor if he'll look at them now. Dr. Greaser says of course and tells Pete to come with him. Pete thinks, this is it. In the next panel, Dr. Hibbert tells Pete that the serum has stopped the deterioration and all reports are favorable. That with a little luck, they expect May Parker to pull through. Pete has saved the life of his darling Aunt May. He approaches her bedside smiling with his head down, thinking, I didn't didn't let you you down down this time, time, Aunt May. May. I didn't didn't fail fail you. you. You didn't, kid. You did good. In the final panel, Aunt May stirs, raising her left hand and eyes still closed. She says, one word peter on 20 pete takes her hand telling her everything is okay that she's gonna be well again may repeats his name with a large smile on her face and drifts back off to sleep dr Greta says she's dozed off and the crisis has passed that she never would have made it without spider-man's help pete releases may's hand as the doctor wonders why spider-man got involved pete headed towards the door says he doesn't know but maybe the guy isn't as bad as everyone says he is the doctor says i guess anyways you go home and get some rest pete One last look at his aunt says he thinks that now he will be able to. The next four panels, we get the doctor's hands lowering the curtains of the window in the room, May sleeping with a smile in the foreground, and Pete limping off in the background as the doctor has the perfect thoughts as the shades lower. Peter Parker certainly is a nice boy. He's sincere, well-mannered, and devoted to his aunt. Too bad there aren't many more young men like that. Too bad someone like him can't be an idol for teenagers to imitate. Instead of some mysterious unknown thrill seeker like... Spider-Man. Little does he know, Pete's both to us, our friend, and our hero. Beneath this, we've got a white panel with red lettering being pushed apart down the middle to reveal the cat's paw himself glaring at us, his lion's face and mane vest staring at us with vacant eyes, his belt lined with elephant tusk. In red lettering, we get... Next issue, the return of... Craven, the Hunter. (laughs) Enough said. And that brings, if this be my destiny, to a close, and we're out. More than once during this issue, I got misty-eyed. Spidey, back against the wall, always has the right mentality of do or die. That may seem to be the obvious choice when your life's on the line, but how many moments in life do we fold instead of being brave and saying, this is what I want, so this is what I'm willing to do. Who dares wins, no one else. Not only when beneath a ton of rubble, but every moment of every day. When I say to be true to yourself at the end of every episode, this is what I mean. Treat every moment like your back is against the wall and do what's best for you while doing your best to take into account the world around you. You're pontificating. My bad, back to. This was my first time reading this story start to finish and I feel like a better person for it. Spidey's monologues, the action, the artwork, the drama, Ditko, Lee, Simek, Everyone else involved who aren't mentioned were working hard in this story and it showed. I see why so many comics fans have gravitated towards If This Be My Destiny over the years and why we see Spidey in impossible positions over and over again from this moment forward. The little guy with the odds all stacked against him getting it done is a powerful message and the king of swing from Forest Hills Queens is nothing if not the little guy with never say quit in his veins. I love him, and I loved this. Next episode, you already know we don't get a chance to catch our breath because the cat's paw, Craven the Hunter, (laughs) is back, and he's got a bone to settle with our hero in ASM number 34, The Thrill of the Hunt. That's the main episode this week, and that's true. That's the main episode, but there is more me and my friend Pete available for your listening pleasure right now if you support this show on Patreon.com HSPP in the Key Keeper or High Council tiers. Patrons get a bonus episode every time we drop a new episode here, where I run through comic books from all over the multiverse of comics, past and present, from Marvel to DC to all points in between. Later this week, we'll be running through Green Lantern Volume 4, Number 62, The New Guardians Conclusion. Thanks now, Dama, for the vote on it. How Jordan's teamed up with friend and foe alike to stop the mad Owen Crona from destroying the universe. Talk about high stakes. If we've got comics, we've got history and I'll be your guide through it all. Join us. This podcast is completely listener supported and your support keeps this crazy train barreling down those tracks. I'm truly grateful you keep coming back and more grateful you allow me to be the conductor. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, a special thanks to the home team parker's dirty dozen sign up now vote on bonus episodes make it a baker's if you sign up before asm number 50 you'll receive a special thank you lapel pin for being a patron during season two let's keep these good times rolling you won't regret it you got questions send them to me in my friend pete at gmail.com and i'll go digging for the answers follow us on instagram at @mmfp_podcast. underscore podcast the panel of the week can be found at patreon.com Slash HSPP. No charge. All that said, that's all that said. That Dusty Trails are calling, so as always, please like, please comment, please share, please, please take care, on please, please think of the world and be true to yourself. And remember, with great power, you know the rest. Stop playing. Make sure you're being responsible. I'm out of here.